with purpose to be dressed in an opinion of wisdom, gravity, profound conceit, as who should say, I am Sir Oracle, and when I ope my lips, let no dog bark. Oh, my Antonio, I do know of these, that therefore only are reputed wise for saying nothing, when I am very sure, if they should speak, would almost damn those ears which hearing them would call their brothers fools. I'll tell thee more of this another time. But fish not with this melancholy bait, for this fool gudgeon, this opinion. Come, good Lorenzo, fare ye well a while. I'll end my exhortation after dinner. Well, we will leave you then till dinner time. I must be one of these same dumb wise men, for Graciano never lets me speak. <laughs> well, keep me company but two years more, thou shalt not know the sound of thine own tongue. Fare ye well. I'll grow a talker for this gear. Thanks, your faith. For silence is only commendable in a neat tongue dried, and a maid not bendable. <laughs> <laughs> is that anything now? Graciano speaks an infinite deal of nothing. More than any man in all Venice. His reasons are as two grains of wheat hid in two bushels of chaff. You shall seek all day ere you find them, and when you have them, they are not worth the search. Well, tell me now. What lady is the same to whom you swore a secret pilgrimage that you today promised to tell me of? It is not unknown to you, Antonio, how much I have disabled my estate by something showing a more swelling port than my faint means would grant continuance. Nor do I now make moan to be abridged from such a noble rate, but my chief care is to come fairly off from the great debts wherein my time something too prodigal hath left me gauged. To you, Antonio, I owe the most in money and in love, and from your love I have a warranty to unburden all my plots and purposes, how to get clear of all the debts I owe. I pray you, good Bassanio, let me know it, and if it stand, as you yourself still do, within the eye of honor, be assured, my purse, my person, my extremist means lie all unlocked to your occasions. In my school days, when I had lost one shaft, I shot his fellow of the self-same flight the self-same way with more advised watch to find the other fourth. And by adventuring both, I oft found both. I urge this childhood proof because what follows is pure innocence. I owe you much, and like a willful youth, that which I owe is lost. But if you please to shoot another arrow, that self-way which you did shoot the first, I do not doubt, as I will watch the aim, or to find both, or bring your latter hazard back again, and thankfully rest debtor for the first. You know me well, and herein spend but time to wind about my love with circumstance, and out of doubt you do me now more wrong in making question of my uttermost than if you had made waste of all I have. Then do but say to me what I should do, that in your knowledge made by me be done, and I am pressed unto it. Therefore, speak. In Belmont is a lady richly left, and she is fair, and fairer than that word of wondrous virtues. Sometimes from her eyes I did receive fair speechless messages. Her name is Portia, nothing undervalued to Cato's daughter, Brutus Portia. Nor is the wide world ignorant of her worth, for the four winds blow in from every coast renowned suitors, and her sunny locks hang on her temples like a golden fleece, which makes her seat of Belmont Caucus strand, and many Jasons come in quest of her. Oh, my Antonio, had I but the means to hold a rival place with one of them, I have a mind presages me such thrift 
that I should question this befortunate? Thou knowest that all my fortunes are at sea. Neither have I money nor commodity to raise a present sum. Therefore, go forth. Try what my credit can in Venice, too. That shall be racked even to the uttermost to furnish thee to Belmont. Do fair Portia. Go, presently inquire, and so will I, where money is, and I no question make to have it of my trust or for my sake. Trust, Nerissa. My little body is a weary of this great world. You would be sweet, madam, if your miseries were in the same abundance as your good fortunes are. And yet, for aught I see, they are as sick that surfeit with too much as they that starve with nothing. It is no mean happiness, therefore, to be seated in the mean. Superfluity comes sooner by white hairs, but competency lives longer. Good sentences and well pronounced. They would be better if well followed. If to do were as easy as to know what were good to do. Chapels had been churches, and poor men's cottages, princes' palaces. It is a good divine that follows his own instructions. I can easier teach twenty what were good to be done than be one of the twenty to follow mine own teaching. The brain may devise laws for the blood, but a hot temper leaps or a cold decree. Such a hair is madness for youth to skip o'er the meshes of good counsel, the cripple. But this reasoning is not in the fashion to choose me a husband. Oh, me, the word choose. I may neither choose whom I would nor refuse whom I dislike. So is the will of a living daughter curbed by the will of a dead father. Is it not hard, Nerissa? That I cannot choose one, nor refuse none. Your father was ever virtuous, and holy men at their death have good inspirations. Therefore the lottery that he hath devised in these three chests of gold, silver, and lead, whereof who chooses his meaning chooses you, will no doubt never be chosen by any rightly, but one whom you shall rightly love. But what warmth is there in your affection towards any of these princely suitors that are already come? I pray thee, overname them. And as thou names them, I will describe them, and according to my description, level at my affection. First, there is the Neapolitan prince. Aye, that's a coat indeed, for he does nothing but talk of his horse. And he makes it a great appropriation to his own good parts that he can shoe him himself. I much afeared my lady, his mother, played false with a smith. Mm. Then is there the county palatine. He does nothing but frown. As who should say, and you will not have me choose. He hears merry tales and smiles not. I fear he will prove the weeping philosopher when he grows old, being so full of unmannerly sadness in his youth. I had rather be married to a death's head with a bone in his mouth than to either of these. God defend me from these two. How say you by the French lord, Monsieur Le Bon? God made him. Therefore, let him pass for a man. <laughs> oh, in truth, I know it is a sin to be a mocker, but he! <laughs> Why, he hath a horse, better than the Neapolitans, a better bad habit of frowning than the Count Palatine. He is every man. In no man. <laughs> if a thrust or sing, he falls straight a capering. He will fence with his own shadow. 
If I should marry him, I should marry twenty husbands. If he would despise me, I would forgive him. For if he loved me to madness, I shall never requite him. What say you then to Falconbridge, the young baron of England? You know I say nothing to him. For he understands not me, nor I him. He has neither Latin, French, nor Italian. And you will come into the court and swear that I have a poor pennyworth in the English. He is a proper man's picture. But alas, who can converse with a dumb show? How oddly he is suited. I think he bought his doublet in Italy, his round hose in France, his bonnet in Germany, and his behavior everywhere. What think you of the Scottish lord, his neighbor? That he had a neighborly charity in him. Or he'd borrowed a box of the ear of the Englishman and swore he would pay him again when he was able. I think the Frenchman became his surety and sealed under for another. How like you the young German, the Duke of Saxony's nephew? Very vilely in the morning when he is sober. Most vilely in the afternoon when he is drunk. When he is best, he is a little worse than a man. And when he is worst, he is little better than a beast. And the worst Oh, whatever fell. I hope I shall make shift to go without him. If he should offer to choose and choose the right casket, you should refuse to perform your father's will if you should refuse to accept him. Therefore, for fear of the worst, I pray thee, set a deep glass of Rhenish wine on the contrary casket. For if the devil be within, and that temptation without, I know he will choose it. I will do anything, Nerissa, ere I will be married to a spouse. <laughs> you need not fear, lady, the having any of these lords. They have acquainted me with their determinations, which is indeed to return to their home and to trouble you with no more suit. <sighs> unless you may be won by some other sort than your father's imposition, depending on the caskets. If I live to be as old as Sibylla, I will die as chaste as Diana unless I'd be obtained in the manner of my father's will. <sighs> I am glad this parcel of wars was so reasonable, for there is not one among them but I dote on his very absence, and I pray God grant them a fair departure. Do you not remember, lady, in your father's time, a Venetian, a scholar and a soldier that came hither in company of the Marquis of Montferrat? Yes, yes. Yes, it was Bissonio, as I think, so was he called. True, madam. He, of all the men that ever my foolish eyes looked upon, was the best deserving of fair lady. I remember him well. And I remember him worthy of thy praise. How now, what news? The four strangers seek for you, madam, to take their leave. And there is a forerunner comes from a fifth, the Prince of Morocco who brings word the prince's master will be here tonight. Oh, if I could bid the fifth welcome with so good heart as I can bid the other four farewell, I should be glad of his approach. If we have the condition of a saint and the complexion of a devil, I had rather he should shrive me than wive me. Come, Nerissa. Sirrah, go before. Whilst we shut the gate upon one moor, another knocks at the door. Three thousand ducats. Well. Aye, sir. For three months. For three months. Well. 
For the which, as I told you, Antonio shall be bound. Antonio shall become bound. Well... May you stead me? Will you pleasure me? Shall I know your answer? Three thousand ducats for three months, and Antonio bound. Your answer to that? Antonio is a good man. Have you heard any imputation to the contrary? Oh, no, 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 no. My meaning in saying he's a good man is to have you understand me that he's uh, sufficient. Yet his means are in supposition. He has an argosy bound to Tripolis, another to the Indies. I understand, moreover, upon the Rialto, he has a third at Mexico, a fourth for England, and other ventures he has squandered abroad. But ships are but boards, sailors but men. There be land rats and water rats, land thieves, and water thieves, I mean, uh, pirates. And, uh, then there is the peril of waters, winds, and rocks. The man is not withstanding sufficient. Three thousand ducats. I think I may take his bond. Be assured you may. I will be assured I may. And that I may be assured I will bethink me. May I speak with Antonio? If it please you to dine with us. Yes. To smell pork, to eat of the habitation which your prophet the Nazarite conjured the devil into. <laughs> I will buy with you, sell with you, talk with you, walk with you, and so following, but I will not eat with you, drink with you, nor pray with you. Oh, what news on the Rialto? Who is he comes here? This is Signor Antonio. How like a fawning publican he looks. I hate him, for he's a Christian. But more for that in low simplicity, he lends out money gratis and brings down the rate of usance here with us in Venice. If I can catch him once upon the hip, I will feed fat the ancient grudge I bear him. He hates our sacred nation. And he rails... Even there were merchants most to congregate on me, my bargains, and my well-won thrift, which he calls interest. <laughs> Cursed be my tribe if I forgive him. Shylock, do you hear? Uh, I am debating on my present store, and by the near guess of my memory, I cannot instantly raise up the gross of full three thousand ducats. So what of that? Uh, Tubal, a wealthy Hebrew of my tribe.